Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Grab Lives Podcast. I'm Trevor Steppen. I'm over here with John Vargas. And today we're going to talk about September being Suicide Prevention Month. Um, obviously, Grab Lives mission is to prevent suicide whenever, wherever we can. Um, but it being uh, sort of highlighted this month, we just want to go into that subject. Uh, it's not often our favorite one to talk about, but it is, um, it's, it's worth it, you know, to bring it up and to sort of share everything we've learned over the years about this, um, difficult subject and, and just kind of paying honor to anyone who's out there struggling right now. Um, so just want to remind everyone that the views and expressed, or sorry, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not reflect any official views of the Los Angeles fire department. So, um, I'm running on empty right now. Uh, this is the first time I've been pretty much away from, uh, our little bubble in San Pedro for the last three weeks. Um, we welcomed our son into this world, uh, pretty much three weeks ago. So I've been sleeping, uh, in two hour increments with Leah taking care of our baby boy, August. Um, but it's a real joy to be out and, and catch up with John today. And, you know, John and I were supposed to do um, a little tour a few weeks ago and, and John ended up uh, having to cancel. And we invited our, our other buddy, Dan, to go do jet ski to Catalina. And it's, it's overdue, but I wanted to give a little uh, review before we just get into... Um, all the other things that we're going to talk about today. Jet Ski to Catalina is a very fun adventure. I, I wouldn't necessarily market it as a tour. Um, you do go to Catalina and you get to tour, I guess, uh, is it, t I think, Two Harbors or Twin Harbors? I always mix it up. And I heard people saying it both ways, but either way, not Avalon. So um, I just want to give a shout out to them because we had a blast. And in the subject of suicide prevention, you know, I mentioned in a post, like it's cool to grab a beer with someone and it's always nice to build camaraderie and in, in however you want to do that with your buddy. Um, but if the camaraderie is already there, which it sort of is between Dan and I plan an adventure, plan some sort of, um, outing with your buddy that doesn't have alcohol as the focus for us that day man it was dolphins <laughs> dolphins were our focus I, I mean personally a great white was on my list but they said they've seen one in two years so you know the operation itself man the fleet of these jet skis was phenomenal like i used to rent motorcycles and i can tell when they're they're putting you on a turd and these things were brand new they hauled ass it was so funny dude it's it's over by the queen mary this is where you kind of set off and uh, they told everyone, hey, this is a no-wake zone. And sure enough, dude, it was like 20 people from all over the country. As soon as they fucking launched these jet skis, man, people were taking off, fucking doing spins and uh, having a blast, basically. So everyone from all over the country, man, I was so proud of this group. They're tough as shit, dude, because it was choppy. It was super choppy. But the fleet was incredible. The guides were incredible. Um, I ended up meeting this dude that's cousins with uh, one of our coworkers. So rad guy. You can tell they love what they do. Everyone was super focused on safety. Uh, and then sure enough, dude, we saw dolphins, man. We saw more dolphins than I've ever seen in my entire life. There was a pod of maybe a thousand dolphins out at, at Catalina. Um, and then Dan and I got some time on the beach to just reflect, you know, 
And that's what it's about. It's about having these quiet moments in nature to sort of get to the things that are keeping us up at night, right? For us, I think that day was all about relationships and how they progressed and commitment. And Dan's so funny. Dude. He's like us. He always is very deep. And he was like, you know, what's love to you? <laughs> and, and you know, this the last three weeks, dude, I've had, I've had an opportunity to sort of prove what that definition is to me. And it's an action. Love is an action. You know, because I used to be a talker. I used to say all these things. Oh, I love you. I feel love. All this stuff, right? But if your actions don't mirror that, it's too easy to say those things, you know? It, to prove it through consistent actions, you know? Just every, dude, I'm like into changing diapers now. Like I, like I look forward to it. And I'm like, I'm going to do it so smooth that he's not going to cry, right? But that's my act of love for him is that consistency, so anyways, that's what he asked me that day. And, um, and then we do then then we hauled ass back to Long Beach. It was an eight hour tour. And if you think about it, dude, that's a pretty good price. I think they charge 400 bucks for eight hours. And last time I was in Costa Rica to do a ATV tour was like, uh, 350 bucks for like yeah. a four hour tour. Right. So anyways, good value, good experience, good adventure. Uh, if you're not looking for chop right now, they said, come back in the winter, you can get glass and you can get compact whales. So that's my little shout out to Jet Ski to Catalina. It was a super fun experience. Uh, John, we should do it this Christmas or something. Yeah, I want to see, see some, some whales. whales. Right? I, I've seen the the whales. Um, they come over by the harbor right there. And then, like, you go to the tip of the peninsula Yeah, over in Palos Verdes. You can see the humpback whales come down there. It's it, They come every year, I guess. Uh, they make their tour kind of along the side of the coast all the way up until uh, Alaska. Nice. And it's it's like clockwork around January to February. That's that's where they, they kind yeah. of migrate, you know. And yeah. it's like usually the mother and its calf does that. Um, but I think a couple of times I've seen a large section of them, like uh, probably like six to eight uh, humpback whales that had gone through that, that coastline. Yeah. It's rad. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. But any, dude, any opportunity we have to get out in nature and see animals and it's just good for perspective you know and yeah. I, I wanted to do that for me before welcoming my son into this world i wanted a, a minute to just kind of ground myself you know before i met lee i went on this long camping trip you know and it's um it just served me very well to kind of like clear my head and get really focused on my intentions and i i kind of saw that pot of dolphins as like a gift from him knowing that i was out there yeah. trying to connect with him and and bring him into this world like safely um which didn't necessarily go down the way that i imagined um but that that could be a nice little segue because obviously when you said hey it's suicide prevention month like suicide isn't my favorite subject to talk about but it is a it's a necessary subject to talk about yeah i think a lot of people avoid the subject you know they tiptoe around it you know every i bet every single fire department out there has like this uh, message on the board for everyone to see hey this is suicide prevention month uh, you know if you have any problems reach out to someone that's pretty much it and there's more to it than that you know a lot of times people tiptoe around the subject rather than going through it or into it and we are happy enough to go into it to show you know everyone has this capability to enter a dark place with themselves and have these intrusive thoughts or whatever and it's, it's just valuable for us, you know, just to look at it and we're not afraid to talk about it because it's, it's something that has really become an epidemic and our podcast started from an incident 
um, such as this that had really led us to really understand that there these these men and women are can be martyrs, you know, of uh, self-destruction, and to refrain from that and preventing it, there's a lot of there's not much answers um, really to to do or to have, but there are some uh, lessons to learn and learn from these experiences from other people, and all we can do is speculate sometimes. Um, so what we're doing now is speculating about our own experiences and understanding, you know, like suicide is a choice and the power of choice is, um, you have to honor that sometimes, you know, whether you like it or not, it's, it's someone else's decision, you know, it's not your own. And you can have a a plethora of people within your reach, but in the end, it's the people who are usually silent and suffering in silence that go through this process and and make that decision, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And dude, I have, um, I have sympathy, you know, for these people that are suffering because that's, that's what it, it's like you said, it's a choice, you know, it's a choice to end pain. Um, it's not healing pain, Yeah, you know, and obviously as I've grown up, um, I think a lot about my responsibility. And so, you know, (laughs) I once said, dude, and this is how dark I used to speak so casually, but I said to my partner once, I don't want to commit to a wife and having kids because, you know, I want the the ability to end my life if, if I choose to. And he was like, are you serious? He goes, that's why you need a wife and kids. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. I, I told you in a previous episode that I stopped having suicidal ideation when I met Leah. And I, I started dreaming of a long life and I started dreaming of growing old. Um, and just to kind of circle back to my most recent experience of an intrusive thought um, pertaining to suicide was during the delivery of our son. So, you know, uh, leading up to the, the labor, I was already stressed out. I'd picked up a sod day. I, I had to get an x-ray done in time to receive a, a medical card. Um, for a test that I was trying to take to promote. And, um, I was having a lot of difficulty getting that done. People were on vacation. Um, people were telling me you can go get the x-ray at the hospital you're at. And so I left Leah when she was early in labor, but still having contractions. Dude, I was talking to captains and battalion chiefs in the corner of the room. And I said, Hey babe, I got to run across the street to get an (laughs) x-ray. And she was like, what? (laughs) And, um, when I got over there, they said that they wouldn't approve it. And so I'm dealing with a lot of shit, right? And the best thing that I did was I went out to my car and I grieved the loss of an expectation. So the expectation was that if I trained for this position, I would get it after two years. And uh, the expectation was that if I wanted it bad enough and I had a good reason why I wanted this promotion, then it would work out in my favor. And nothing was working out literally every every email i would send every phone call i would make while while she's laboring it was just no one was like oh yeah sure i'll help you out everyone was like too bad so i i needed to clear my head so i went out to my car and i fucking yelled at the top of my lungs and i grieved the loss of something work related to so that i could show up for the delivery and it was the smartest thing i did because when i re-entered the room i committed to being um leah's partner and the dude, the tears started flowing when 
she was starting to feel so much pain that she started to let out like um like a very visceral moan and she was in the tub at the time and i was sitting behind her kind of rubbing her back <laughs> and i just felt like this is the most beautiful expression of femininity i've ever witnessed in my life and so i just started crying because i felt so grateful so long story short every time she would have a contraction his cord would get pinched and his heart rate i'm looking at the monitor his heart rate would drop from 140 to 70 and a lot of times it would rebound but then it started to not rebound and it would stay at 70 for like a minute and at the time me a nurse and a midwife are literally picking up leah and like putting her on her side and okay put her on her other side and then shit escalated so quickly and they told me to suit up and they're going to take her to the or for an emergency c-section and they told me I couldn't come with. And I'm standing in the hallway, just and all our past is coming up. And it's coming up as a shock because, and that's what I've learned, dude, in in all my years is that triggers are often surprise. Um, because I, in no way did I think anything bad was gonna happen during this pregnancy, during this labor. I thought this is, this is our shot. You know, we've been through enough. This is, here it comes. And, you know she gets wheeled away and no one's in the hallway i can't even see where she's at and um this nurse is like what did she say she said something about hey if you believe in god maybe you should pray and dude i went through so much in that hallway in the next two minutes i was you know bawling and i was um I felt very connected to other people's suffering. I felt like, oh my God, I thought I had felt fear before. And in that moment, I felt so much fear and so much panic and um, just, just so much weight. I just felt so pinned to the bottom of something that I thought to myself, if, if Leah if something happens to Leah or something happens to myself, I'm not walking out of this hospital. Like I just, I just thought to myself, like, I can't, I can't handle it. And, um, I ended up, <laughs> this guy pulls up to the front of the room with a, like a cleaning cart. Like he works for housekeeping. And I associated that with like something happened to your wife. And now I'm here to clean your room because we need it for someone else. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I, pushed his cart away from our door and i said buzz me through this door right here and he was like yeah sure no problem and i ran down the hall to the or and i saw leah pushing and she ended up pushing our son out in 15 minutes to avoid the c-section and save his life and um just the relief that i felt in that moment and the faith that had been for sure tested and restored and just how grateful i felt that he came out uh, perfect, you know, and healthy. Um, it really gave me such, such a, a moment of clarity, which is something that I've felt for the last three years. When I stopped having suicidal ideation, it, it was a commitment to keep going. And I think that that comes down to the, the choice, right? So in that moment, I thought I had lost everything. So I was like, well, I'll just, just lose one more thing, you know, just lose myself. And um, obviously nothing was taken from me that day. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, so much was, 
was given to me. And I think that's, that's what I've learned about my relationship with suicide is there doesn't need to be a plan. There doesn't need to be a solution. Obviously, all of this takes time to heal the pain, but there does need to be a, a commitment and a choice to just keep going. And that's one that I've made and I, I have peace with it now, knowing that I'll never give up. And um, obviously, I feel so lucky that nothing happened to Leah that day or nothing happened to my son and 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 when those things happen when you when you get saved or spared or helped in any way it it kind of reassures that you're not alone I mean you have guides you know whether you're religious and you have a relationship with God or you just have a plan you know and you feel like the universe is here to cradle you um, when you make good choices you're not alone and it's not just a caption we put on Instagram posts. Like, you are not alone. And I felt very supported that day by the labor and delivery nurses. You know, I just felt like everyone, you know, when Leah pushed him out, everyone in the room, there was like 20 people. And some of those people were setting up crash carts, you know, and that's how, that's how critical all this was. But when he came out and everyone just cheered and like celebrated this this new life, it's like that that is my focus now. That is my mission. Um, I would never now now that he's here. You know, we ha we always have these intrusive thoughts, but there's just no part of me that wants to make that final decision anymore. It's interesting when you're sitting in that moment of fear and panic and what it feels like you're like i hate what this feels like oh you know, i want to get it's like away the from worst it. thing ever. exactly and uh but that's the moment too is like when you start feeding it yes it becomes a bigger monster than what it is right and you know that's that comes into allowing yourself to be present into the moment and be attentive instead of reactive and your reaction can really play a huge role you know to a circumstance and that's when the logical mind begins to make these, uh, you know, these whirlwinds of ideas and thoughts and you start feeding them and they become these stories. And it's, it's very fascinating to watch how self-destructive we can be when we start creating these stories, these ideas, these concepts. Yes. And we start believing them, you know, and it's like, how did I end up in this, in this place? You know, like this self-destructive mode, you know, this, um, this idea that, we enjoy it almost to the point where it's like we we want to sit in that for some reason, but there's there's a choice here to not be not not, not want to do that, you know. And it's like um, uh, recently I had discovered this uh, this interesting um, phrase. It's called uh, "cupio dissolvi," and it's a Latin phrase that's kind of coined from like uh, medieval times from Stoics and philosophers. And it's this dissolving phase of our lives. And in that, in that dissolving phase, you know, it's almost like this masochistic nature that we want to be self-destructive and to witness it and also embrace it is important because, you know, that's a part of our nature, uh, but it's also not, you know, you can choose not to be a part of like this dissolving part of ourselves that we want to just um, to feel pain, you know, in order to suffer more and more and more. But uh, and, you know, that's also, that's, that also can be a uh, programming for ourselves, you know, the way we were taught and thinking we have to be in that state with ourselves to, I don't know, suffer, you know, and I think with a lot of the suicide ideation stuff, um, that dissolving phase 
uh, happens with us, and it's it's only a matter of of lessons that we come across. You know, it's like uh, this idea from like even like building construction, like compression and tension. You know, they 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 work together in order to hold a roof structure in place. You know, this compression phase of our lives internally happens because it's there's this other part of tension that's they're they're working together in order to hold something up, and when you're in the compression phase and you feel a tension, you know, it's, if you're feeling this support around it and you're not getting caught up in like this, um, you know, this poor me or victim state, you know, you're just uh, allowing yourself to, to listen and witness yourself. It, it, you can learn a new perspective, but we all get caught up in it, you know, and if, especially if you're, you know, you're, you're getting caught up with, you know, you're, you're the fear of your son and Leah, you know, not being, um, you know, having this, uh, beautiful, um, you know, easy birth, you know, it was a challenge. And, but in the end, you're going to see like Leah is, is so, so strong and you yeah. guys are supporting each other in this, in this process of this beautiful birth. And, um, but in that state, man, when you, when you hear those intrusive thoughts, like what, which, which were the thoughts or what were the thoughts that came up for you? Um, dude, it all, so this is so weird because like when we had our first miscarriage, I obviously had intrusive thoughts. Um, but it, that one was like such a slow process that um this one turned me upside down because like one minute she's in the room and we're all working together and then the next minute i'm standing alone in the hallway so the intrusive thoughts and and i'll be very honest right now so you're talking about attaching to certain narratives and you know it is a human tendency to want to play a victim and I've played that way too much in my life where that um, catastrophizing is a pattern for mm-hmm. me. And I have always been attached to a subconscious narrative that my life will be a tragedy. Okay, so I was always a serious kid. I've, I've mentioned that I didn't have a super happy childhood. I've just always associated a part of me, a part of my shadow with expecting things to go wrong. So in that moment in the hallway, it was almost like, it was almost like you stupid idiot for believing that you would get everything you always wanted. And that's um, that's something I'm working on. That's a, that's a core wound for me, right? Is that at my subconscious level, I don't believe that things will work out for me. And that's something I, like I said, in this moment of receiving this beautiful child who was created by Leah and I and having that relief wash over me, I mean... That's that's how you chip away at a narrative that no longer serves you is by looking at all that you do have, all that you are grateful for. And that was a process for me to go home with him and be like, why am I still upset? Mm-hmm. And it was because I was playing a victim for you know work stuff. I I I got jealous of guys that were allowed to test, you know, and I you know would compare myself. Well, if only I had handled this a little sooner, you know. And and that's the thing, dude. Shame is is fuel to your fire. 
right? Yeah. And a lot of people exist in this frequency of jealousy, anger, pride, shame, you know, all these negative emotions that it, it in, a, in a way it does feel good to give up and label yourself a victim and say, nothing's going to help. I've tried everything. Here we go. I'm on the, I'm on the path to, to destruction and all of these self-limiting beliefs and, and self-sabotaging patterns and focusing on scarcity. That's been a big lesson, um, for me lately. And I think that dude, first responders, you know, we're in an industry of, of serving where we, we tell ourselves we don't matter, right? The patient matters more than we do. And I I've experienced this at, at home in the last three weeks, I'll look at my son and I'll be like, he matters. It doesn't matter that I'm super fucking tired or that the practices I've, I've had in place right now, I I'm too tired to do them. You know, last week I went for a swim three days in a row and it was incredible. I had a routine going and then he, you know, he started having some digestive problems and we were up for three days and it was hard. And I just, my, my program went away, you know, I wasn't swimming anymore. I was, I wasn't eating super clean. Yeah. It's, uh, I've been dealing with that recently too, where I don't have time to do my practices. Yeah. It's and, rough. Dude. And so if you're choosing sleep or meditation or, you know, if you're choosing sleep over something, then shit's in crisis mode. Yeah. You prioritize, you know, what's important for your well being, And, uh, you know, I was challenged by like a couple weeks ago, uh, prior, like straight every single day, I had no time for my practices Yeah, and that's what really anchors me in. Um, and I was, I was forced to really just be present in the moment for every single, um, situation that had occurred, circumstance that arised. And, you know, I do have some certain practices if I don't have time, uh, that I can really instill. And, uh, one of them is, is, uh, looking up a phrase or a word that can come up in a book, um, that I can use, uh, that I kind of keep in my notes to kind of just reflect on. And, uh, two of them kind of came up and I just focus on that word the entire day. And I ask myself, you know, what is my lesson here in this situation, in this circumstance that arises? And this yeah. is kind of like a form of a Dzogchen uh, meditation that's done by different Tibetan monks. You know, they focus on one object and they stare at it or one idea and they stare at it uh, or, or kind of observe it. And uh, one of them was uh, reactivity and the other one was uh, equanimity. Mm. You know, and how do I bring that into every single moment or how am I reacting to every single moment and how am I reflecting on it? You know, and it's, it is a form of meditation to where I'm bringing myself uh, in the present moment. And it's a really uh, cool practice because you're really, um, you're kind of checking yourself and yeah. you're, you're growing from every single circumstance that arises. And, you know, for you, you got it. You had a chain reaction of events that, that took you to this moment of, complete surrender and the yeah. letting go of, a, of, of an outcome or an idea of an outcome and the shattering moment became the bliss in mm -hmm. the end, which yeah. is really fascinating how things work sometimes. You oh, know what dude. I mean? <laughs> and because it was such a, a quick switch, yeah. I still feel like I'm living in a dream. Yeah. Like sometimes I'll look at him and just be like, I can't believe you're here. But I, what I was going to say is it's a dangerous territory. If you start prioritizing your job, over yourself or your child over yourself because if you're constantly telling yourself you don't matter and some of those things get taken away then you're left with a foundation of unworthiness so like i i've just 
sympathized a lot with guys that I've heard go through custody battles, yeah. you know, because if you're living for your child and then boom, you don't get to see them as much or, you know, like your character starts getting in under question that can really be an unraveling, you know? And just like we've seen, you know, a lot of people put their, their work as their, their main function, their sole purpose. And then, you know, you got retirement or injury or, or whatever, and then you're left with a foundation of unworthiness. And so I have to constantly remind myself that my son is not my possession. He's an extension of me. And that's it's it's been really interesting to kind of dissect that over the last three weeks because he looks like me. And I feel this deep sense of wanting to take care of him. But he almost feels like just an extension of me. And so you know, as an extension, right? Like I look at myself as the trunk of the tree, right? And he's the berry at the end or a leaf or a twig or whatever, but something delicate, but still attached to me. So I have to continue to take care of me in order to take care of him. And so there's been some really good lessons in worthiness. And, you know, I think on the subject of suicide prevention, you know, that was, that was a big step in the right direction for me is reframing a narrative of I don't matter right or my life's supposed to be a tragedy or whatever i mean those are those are big fucking statements um and i think john something we've talked about that's a lifelong journey is being comfortable holding difficult emotions right because in that yeah. hallway i couldn't hold it it was burying me i mean yeah. dude i cried more on that day of labor i cried more on that day and they weren't all you know, sad tears. A lot of it was happy tears, but I cried more on that day than I have uh, in my entire life. Like all, all of my years more on that day. And, you know, it takes big moments like that sometimes to really shift the narrative, you know, because now I'll even laugh and be like, do you really thought your life was a tragedy? I mean, look how lucky you are. You yeah, know? those shattering moments bring such great humility. You such know I mean? great humility. You know, I always, always envision like my ego self, like, and the ego death, like the yeah. a vase falling to the ground and shattering, yeah. you know, but from there you have this hammer that kind of comes in place and starts, starts hammering <laughs> the little other pieces until it's like completely in this like little pieces that start just, you know, being disintegrated again, sure. you know, that same concept. And uh, as soon as you let go of it, you know, it's just, you start, you, you lose your grip yeah. on your ego and how, and how you see yourself, you know, and you just realize wow, um, I'm just completely out of control. There's yeah. nothing that I'm in control with right now. I am in a place of complete humility and trust. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you go into that space, you see so much more. Yes. And there's so much gratitude that comes into place. And, um, you know, you're saying like, you know, we're supported by these spirit guides or these things we don't see. Uh, and you, when you feel it in those moments, yeah. it's a powerful entitlement to yourself and this greater existence of life. For sure. For yeah. sure. And I've been very fortunate to feel those guides. I, I've touched bottom a few times and I always feel a guide reach down and help me. And I always think to myself, damn, he showed up or she showed up when I fucking needed them to. And then that narrative hopefully gets, you know, imprinted on me as well that I'll be helped. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, dude. I mean, I for for like the, even the concept of death, right? Uh, the idea of it, um, you know. I think for us in our line of work, we are in this 
we took a vow, right, to serve uh, the people of the city of Los Angeles in order to um, preserve life and property, and in order to even like risk our lives to do it, you know. And um, I remember kind of this this other idea of um, what is it, the uh, memento mori? You yeah. know, I have that tattooed on my arm, yeah. And I forgot that I had it tattooed on my <laughs> arm, but it's this concept that like. Remember that you will die, yeah. and it's it's the fact that our our bodies are not forever. And I remember driving into work when I was on probation as a rookie member, and I just had this sense of uh, calmness within myself, seeing if I die today, you know, I am not afraid of it. I'm going into work knowing every single morning that if I die, I'm complete with that concept. And I really felt this calmness over me, also knowing the fact that I truly feel that it won't happen to me because I have a purpose that's greater to serve humanity in this life. Mm. And when I sat with that idea, you know, it was like almost like this existential um, relief, you know, to have no fear, really. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of funny, like when you have no fear, it, it won't come to you, you know, whatever it is you're afraid of. Mm-hmm. And so every single you know, um, concept of this, every single ancient civilization, ancient like um, philosophers, they would study death and they would sit with the idea of it. You know, like these Stoics would sit with, you know, the dissolving phase or even the death phase, the Egyptian Book of the Dead or the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Uh, They would sit with these ideas and meditate on them. And this was almost like the last portion of their process of their growth because death seems to be so much fearful for every single human on this planet and to sit with the idea of death, you know, yeah. with like the, the Tibetan monks to sit with it, um, they would discover that there's nothing to fear. And it brought this, this super nature of the self to really realize there's nothing to fear, but fear itself. And going into suicide ideation and suicide, it's a topic that is self-inflicted, right? So there's something, somebody's already suffering, to the point where they're like, I can't even live anymore. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I'm going to yeah. make this decision. Um, just to look at it and, you know, just intrusive thoughts is are way different. You know, the mind's going to do its own thing. For sure. You know, and it, but if someone is, um, you know, really, truly, truly in pain, that much pain to, to make a decision to end it, it's, um, it brings a lot of um, distortion to the families to the friends and the beloved ones who who watch this happen because they're like, how could we have, have helped this and prevented this from happening? And by looking at it, you know, it's hard to speculate. That's all we can do, you know? Um, yeah. Because for, for me, I think a, a lot of it is unprocessed trauma. Um, for sure. You know, and you add to that unprocessed trauma. A lot of it's from childhood. A lot of it is from um, dealing with shame, some certain things that could have happened, you know, being physically abused, um, being sexually abused. We're seeing that one in three men are being sexually assaulted and they take it to the grave. You know, living in that frequency of shame. One in three? One in three men are sexually assaulted. Because I think assaulted. it's something like 80% of women or it's super high for women, but it's that's, very that's even women, surprisingly it's, high for it's men. It's barely coming up right now because men are now saying that, that they're, you know, kind of like this uh, Me Too movement, but for men, you wow. know, they're now coming out saying, hey, I, you know, when I was a child, I was sexually molested, or when I was, you know, this age, I was assaulted. Yeah. Um, because they're, they will never admit it, you know, because there's so much shame revolved around it. Because of men having this affiliation with shame, it's coming up to the surface right now. And 
men will take it to the grave. You know, they'll never, they'll never um, admit it. You know, yeah. and, and th- let's add um, some some three days of no sleep to that. Let's add a divorce to that. Right. Let's add a custody battle to that. Let's add a serious traumatic incident that you're dealing with with that. Let's add alcohol, alcohol to that. Let's add alcohol. And yeah. let's add us some pain pills, some Zoloft, some Prozac. What do you have? You have a person who is just stricken with pain internally, unprocessed trauma, and just rigid and numb. That is an appetite for destruction. You know, and um, if you can do the work um, on yourself and, and witness yourself and acknowledging some of these things in your past and just open those doors, it really makes a difference. Mm. Um, no, have, no matter how small that is, it's just uh, really, really detrimental for you to do that, that that piece of the puzzle. I had a woman call me uh, from the union who was, you know, talking about a recent tragedy we have had in our department, um, just to make sure you know everyone's okay and all that stuff. And you know, I told her I was like, you know what, I don't want to sit in any type of blame and and for my own self, uh, because I, I have to also honor that person's decision for whatever that person did. Um, and in the end, it takes two to tango. You know, that person was fully supported by family and friends. And in the end, it takes that person to want help. You know, if that person doesn't want help, what are we supposed to do? Mm. You know, and uh, I can't blame myself for stepping into this path of, of reaching out to help people with this stuff. Knowing that I've been there myself, I can't take that blame. It's a burden I can't carry, you know. And uh, when she heard me say that, she was like, wow, that's not what I expected to hear. <laughs> uh, but I'm really happy that you're able to see it like that. Um, and, and it's because I've seen calls in our line of work where you know suicides happen all the time we go on them all the time and they yeah. were really dark for me to witness and i didn't like them at all i hated being in the same room it's just a really dark energy um i remember one time being in a house where there was just this a uh, really harsh um incident and the dog was in the room and it was the dog knew you could tell and it was just so weird and i just i felt so um i could feel the dog's grief almost you yeah. know uh, it was so palpable and but now I see it um, way different you know I don't like to take on those burdens and, and see it as a, as a darkness that I'm unwilling to witness for myself because I've gone there and I've, I've realized that's not my truth um, and like as far as like realizing each other's truth you know like truth is so ambiguous right mm-hmm. uh, but subjective think about what we're doing when we're doing our checks on our equipment, you know, like uh, let's say you're checking out a rotary saw when that thing doesn't run true, it's wobbling all over the place. You know, if you're seeing you're driving behind some car who had like a flat tire and they had a, a donut tire and that thing's wobbling, you know, it's not running true with the other tires. So it's just something that's out of balance. Um, but when you find that something that's true within you, you it runs right. It feels right. You know, that's how you find your truth. It's a, it's a feeling and when you make a relationship with yourself with a, a feeling of something running true, it feels right, you know. But if something doesn't, that's your time to readjust yourself and see, um, you know, how can you replace that with something else? Yeah, that's a that's a great um, insight, you know, because that's what happened when I changed my diet, right? You start mm-hmm. to see what kind of foods agree with you, yeah. and it works for everything in your life, you know. I can right now, like I can tell, obviously a lot of my narrative is is sleep deprived right now and so i can i can say well that's not true that's because you're tired you know but i've just after 
seven years as a firefighter and three weeks with a newborn, which by the way is way harder. I, I thought because we get up four or five times after midnight, like this would be a piece of cake and it's not. Um, but I'm able to spot the thoughts that aren't true and I'm able to keep some distance and not attach to them. But dude, you brought up a concept that I want to discuss right now because this is a heavy subject, right? You know, talking about what people value and decisions that they would make. And um, you talked about letting go and you talked about how there's so much power in that. And um, it's, it's true. <laughs> so, you know, I once heard um, a quote that was, I think it's based on a journal entry or some article, but it's called uh, die before you die. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of letting go and trusting in a bigger plan for for you and, and trusting that you just don't know everything and, and making that commitment to keep going for me that's real power because this is coming from a retired control freak where i thought power <laughs> meant that i had i had my finger on everything right i i could control my environment and that's not power that's anxiety you know just realizing that okay i have this wonderful life but if one thing changes, then it's not wonderful anymore. Um, and I think that's what people, you know, sometimes associate life with is, you know, um, possessions. Yeah. You know, so like if you have this career and you have this wife and you have these kids and you have this home, that's your life. And if one of those things gets taken, it, it chips away at, at who you are or how much you matter or whatever. Um, and so I think, you know, understanding that those things that you obtain are meant to be in flux, you know, um, that's what it means to be alive. It's not to acquire all this shit and hope that it stays whole until you make it safely to the finish line. And that, that came to me recently. I've been having a lot of deeper meditations, you know, where I'll, I'll sit on the couch with him. And my mind will just wander. And that, that word came to me the other day is alive, knowing that I can't control every little outcome. Lately, I've been super forgetful. I'll get to the gym and not have my swim goggles, or I'll get to my car and not have my phone. And it frustrated the hell out of me at first. But then I, I just embraced the idea of, okay, I'm more alive now because I can't control everything. So I'm, I'm in the arena and dude, we binged 1883. And for the record, John has been recommending this series to me for like what six months. Yeah. And and I finally turned it on. It was incredible, incredible. Yeah. And I've been a big fan of Taylor Sheridan for a long time. But I mean, incredible. So it already got me thinking. Okay, these guys—they're so committed to being pioneers. They're so committed to finding land. They're not expecting to arrive whole. You know, yeah. wagons are going to get burned and people are going to get shot. And, you know, like we're, we're, we're focused on the mission. And I think all of that contributed to this perspective that I have now of if I truly want to embrace being alive, it's not about acquisition. It's about gratitude in the present moment and living in abundance and recognizing that shit can change on a moment's notice, just like I experienced in that hallway. But who I am and, and my life is not about what I have. And I think knowing that now and recognizing that, okay, I'm not in control, but I trust 
that my journey is for me and I, and I trust the power I have to let go. And I might experience some extreme discomfort through that ego death, but that's for my greater good. Mm. And dude, so much has come up this past week. It's, it's, it's put me, like we said, triggers can be surprising. Dude, it's put me back in my own childhood. It's, um, dude, I was being kind of bratty to Leah. And I realized, dude, I, I had been thinking about my parents so intensely that it put me at like a younger version of myself when I was a smart ass, when I was, when I was under the same roof as them. And the way that I was talking to Leah, I was like, holy shit, you know? Um, but just being aware of that is obviously helpful. But I think, dude, if you want to prevent suicide, you know, people have to want to live. This life is fucking difficult, dude. As I saw, dude, I, I am still, I still feel sort of traumatized by the fear that I felt in that hallway. And if you're going through something that scary, or that unraveling or that, you know, heavy, dude, we get it. We get how fucking scary that is. Yeah. But having the perspective to ride it out and not do anything permanent for a temporary problem, that's, I think that's, if I'm going to focus one effort on preventing suicide, it's going to get people to change how they associate their worthiness. Um, and obviously just making a commitment to keep going because if you're if your toolbox is full of pills alcohol porn and suicide then you have no practice at solving problems mm. you only have practice at deciding to feel better in a moment and obviously these are unhealthy patterns yeah it's it's funny too, like how behavior comes up through circumstances. You know, you see some parts of yourself you're not super proud of right. that may arise to the surface. And it's just uh, funny because I've had the same experience where I've, I've been uh, kind of reacting really bratty, you know, yeah. like, and uh, I've, I've come to the conclusion that my ego self, the way I see it is like the, the three-headed dog, like Cerberus. The, yeah, I just saw that tattoo. Three-headed Doberman. Interesting. Sick. So, that's how I see my egoic self. And it's like my my super bratty, like, seven-year-old self and my my 15-year-old anarchist punk rock, like, metalhead kid who doesn't give a fuck about anything. Yeah. And then um, just, like, my my prideful, like, 25-year-old thinks he knows everything self, you know? And it's and this piece of me is like super um, hard to control. Yeah. When I realize it's not about controlling, it's about letting it show itself mm -hmm. and then uh, being nice to it and but not feeding it and allowing it to come to the surface and then going from there and having the maturity levels to deal with that. Right. Is um, a lot of that, a lot of it is self discipline, you know. And then um, it, it's an interesting piece of me that I, I witnessed to come forth. And it can, it's a fucking asshole, that thing, dude. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, it really comes out when circuit, I'm fucking tired, I'm hungry. Um, you know, I just don't, I don't really give a shit. You know, I'm yeah. apathetic. Yeah. And dude, it's just so funny how it, when it arises, it's showing me something. You know, it's showing me my true self. You know, but to hide it and, and deny it is, that's, that's not really helpful. You know, but to, um, to show it love and compassion is like the best way to do it. You know, to, um, be more of a father figure to that thing. You know, it's a yeah. creature I created, you know, for sure. <laughs> it's just like super crazy, man. I think just the, the realization that, you know, these parts of yourself will show up on your journey 
and maybe it's possible that the the most amount of bliss and the most amount of pain haven't shown up in your story yet yeah and for me i'm i'm really focused on balance right now and um you know having those talks with your ego that's in balance you know or just realizing that this storm that you're in will pass you know and um i think the realization that you know we have to practice healing pain you know taking a pill to heal your pain that's not practice at all that's not that's not physical therapy so like i said the happiest i've been this week is when i made a commitment to i get up with him you know because he has trouble going back to sleep at like five so i'll get up at five with him and watch the sunrise and i'll kind of work him out i'll like (laughs) push on his arms and his legs and stuff and then i'll go to the the pool and getting a workout in for me and then coming home um ready to serve and ready to be present for leah that's just worked way better the days that i've skipped my workout dude (laughs) leah will like you know hey do you you need anything and i'll just be like i'll snap you know like yeah i need a fucking nap or whatever just i haven't really loved the way that i've snapped a few times this week and it's it's all been due to um being super tired so you know, getting that rest, that's a way to practice healing pain, right? Because mm-hmm. we have an opportunity. Like, he lies down. He he gets tired. So what am I going to do? It's almost like a busy shift where you come back to quarters and you have time for one thing. What are you going to do? Brush your teeth. You're going to brush your teeth. You're going <laughs> to shave your face. You're going to take a shit or you're going to make breakfast. Yeah. Or you're going to put on a uniform. You got to choose one, yeah. right? So that's how I feel now is like, okay, I got to choose one. I can either nap or you know what I've been doing this my new practice is I don't focus on sleep I focus on rest mm-hmm. so I'll play binaural beats and or I'll play 741 hertz and I'll get in the just a calm state and I'll close my eyes yeah it's a great practice that I've started doing and uh, recently because of the time consuming uh, lifestyle I've been yeah. having you know and it's like you can do like 5 minutes of these binaural beats and you feel really great after yeah. and it's like this there's these recent studies that have come up with binaural beats and these different frequency sounds that it will recalibrate your entire system, like energetically and physically. Um, there's so many different kinds. There's there's kinds for like brain fog. There's there's co- some kinds for like needing to pay attention. Yeah, it's so crazy, man. But I really, it's really helpful if you do like five minutes. Dude, I'll feel like a million bucks if I'm on yes. a busy shift. Yeah, you know? and it's cool that I'll play it for both of us. You know, yeah. because like him crying, that's affecting my nervous system. You know, just having that that yeah. siren going off. <laughs> but also, you know, poor guy, he's like a blank slate. Yeah. So like, I'll come in with that music to sort of like cleanse the whatever he just felt. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there are practices in place that you like. You said you have one list for when shit's going well, and another list like I've been journaling on my computer at night which is great because i haven't done that practice in a while yep. but that's what i have time for now i wonder if you laid him on a grounding mat that would help. i have put him on the ground oh, nice. yeah Does it help at all uh yeah it did a little bit um you know it's so funny dude like we'll have th- i mean he's so fresh right now that we'll have like three days where he likes one position and then he no longer likes that position so i was like super confident i could i could put his um belly on my forearm i called it like jaguar on a tree and i could rock him like this and he would he would chill out within seconds but now he doesn't like that position so yeah yeah, but um i think just because i i don't have a ton of time 
I just want to circle back to, I think the reason that you and I can openly discuss suicide is because we realize that the reward of discussing it dramatically outweighs the risk of not discussing it. Yeah. And, and when we talk about shame adding fuel to the fire, right? I wasn't taught to apologize when I was a kid. Mm. Were you? Were you? Yeah. Okay, great. So, I mean, I'm sure someone told me, hey, if you make a mistake, say you're sorry. But what I was modeled more often was if you make a mistake, sit in that shame and I'm going to ignore you so you really know that what you did wasn't cool. That's crazy because Haley just told me that she had a recent ex- memory of that same experience. Okay. So that's, it, you have to give yourself some grace and compassion. If this is what you were modeled or no one in your family ever discussed anything uh, therapeutic related, you know, whether it's getting a massage or going to do you, yoga or uh, swimming in the ocean, you have to allow yourself like let go of that let go of okay i'm you know i'm a victim i wasn't taught this thing you can change at any moment right and that's what i'm learning about being an adult is being an adult is making good decisions consistently that's that's all it is it's like you have that like you said that father figure come in and say something if you choose to ignore it guess what it's going to catch up to you yeah just like the bill is not going to pay itself you know (laughs) like handle your shit and make good choices yeah, some of these deeply rooted patterns are tough to handle because they're they're so deep and there's a lot of pain uh, behind them. And right. to go into those, uh, you know, it t- it's a lot of work, man. It's like it's like there's different levels to it too. You hit the the surface, your therapist or whatever, someone, your wife, you know, someone triggers that and you're seeing it. That's just the surface of it. You go into it uh, more and more and more. Um, you know, that's that's the part of uh, freedom from it is when you do that work right. and. It, it is work, you know. They, they say like the the part of liberating yourself from that is the fact of uh, acknowledging it as the first step, you know. And it's almost like this, like um, you know, alcohol is anonymous. The first step is just realizing you have a problem, but yeah. it's the first step in doing this deeper work on yourself for these deeply rooted behavioral patterns. And there's there's always a, a wound behind it, obviously, because there is. It's almost like. Uh, like sticky tape that's attached to something an incident or a trigger that once it ta- once it touches it you know something's going to release itself from right. that moment um you know and like the moment we we dig ourselves our own hole in our own car- karma or grief and victimhood that's the moment when we we see ourselves more um we don't have to sit there for too long you know you can just see it for a moment acknowledge it and move forward from there it doesn't have to be this place you sit for such a long period of time yeah and start exercising an intention to let things go. Like, I, dude, I'm stubborn as hell. I, I yeah. wasn't good at letting things go. But I've, I've started a practice of, okay, here's something that's bothering me. My intention is to let it go. So for me, like I said, I had to go grieve something in my car. And I yelled at the top of my lungs just to get it out. And that helped me. That's good. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's like telling someone who's having a panic attack to chill out. Relax. We always right, say that. Right. We're on a so, call. Hey, relax. Yeah, relax. It's like, no, it doesn't dude. fix shit. So it's like, don't do that to yourself. Don't say to yourself, hey, just let it go. Yeah. Just let it go. That doesn't work. But yeah. what you can do is zoom out. You can you can do a, a breath work pattern. You can give yourself some perspective and you can grieve it. And that's the opposite of bottling it up. So for me, I yelled in my car. You can 
cry or you you know you can go for a a long run or a swim or whatever but like treat it with the attention it deserves just grieve it yeah without a doubt so i mean have you ever ever seen donnie darko yeah of course so you know the part of the movie when uh patrick patrick swayze is this guy like a motivational speaker right yeah and he's talking about it's between fear and love yeah you choose the the situation (laughs) and then uh donnie darko gets up and he's like it's not that fucking easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's not between fear and love. It's not that easy. Right. And, uh, you know, he starts going off on this rant, right? That movie is really cool. It's one of, probably one of my favorite movies. But uh, he's, you know, in, in essence, you can put it on a spectrum of fear and love. You know, and in between, there are these little pieces on that spectrum that kind of, like, relate to one another, you know. And sometimes I will see, hey, is this a fearful reaction or is this a loving reaction? And it's like, am I using my logical mind or am I using my heart? Yeah. You know, and that's kind of like the way I kind of put it to give it a broader perspective. And the more I lean towards that, you know, love or in my heart space, I am able to transmute things quicker. And, and, And it's actually seems very simple and very stupid but it's not it's it no. works very well you can make that shift very easily yeah, once you've practiced it a few times yeah I'm, I'm with you on that one brother like when i start feeling anxious now i ask myself hey are you leading with love or are you trying to control everything mm. so i i put myself back in my heart space i accept that the terms of being alive means i can't control everything but i can't put my best foot forward i can't lead with love I can't believe that things are going to work out well. I can lean on my practices. I can stay connected to people, right? I had uh, been served Cambo one time by um, a woman who I really uh, admire, and she's very motherly. Her name is Stella. Shout out to Stella. And it was a really intense uh, ceremony. I really was working through some serious, serious uh, stuff with like a core wound of abandonment. And um, at the very end, this song played, and it was like the words where I release control. I surrender to the flow of love, you know, and that really hit home with me when I, when I was working with something that I was holding onto so dearly and I was struggling with. And in the end, I found this piece of surrender by accepting something that was parallel to forgiveness. Mm. And to hear those words, it was like just super cool to kind of put the cherry on top of the situation, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it was really cool experience. Well, I got to run home. Yeah, but that was, that was great to close on right there. <laughs> um, obviously, we have resources in place. You know, we've highlighted Alejandra and Hugo in the UFLAX Center for Behavioral and Wellness. Um, they're easy to get in touch with. You know, there's there's so many different suicide helplines or hotlines out there um, that can help you. Let's start practicing healing pain. That's, that's the main thing. Um, do yourself a favor and slow down. That's another thing is, you know, I, I had a meditation come to me recently that was like, dude, if you continue to chase, if you're always looking for something to chase, you won't enjoy what you have. So you got to fucking smell the roses. And so carve out some time for you. Just know that, you know, life, it's so hard sometimes. And it's also really beautiful. So have a commitment to keep going, have a commitment to start learning how to heal pain. There's ways to practice holding these difficult emotions and we can reframe the narrative of worthiness being something that's um, innate and unconditional and not attached to the things that we own or control. Cool. All right, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for listening in. Uh, you can do a quick review at us on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. 
and give us some stars, five stars preferably. And thank you for listening. <laughs> All right, thank you. Later.